0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast of The Believer's Bible Class, a part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Each week we share the Bible lesson from our longtime teacher, Doug Brady. Doug has studied the biblical scriptures throughout his life, and is knowledgeable in both ancient Greek and Hebrew, which makes his explanations of scripture all the more interesting and most certainly all the more accurate. Professionally, Doug is an attorney although he considers his Bible teaching as his godly profession. We are continuing our study of the Old Testament book of Daniel, and today we continue in the seventh chapter of this great book. Here we are seeing the third and fourth beasts that will come out of the seas, and Doug will explain all of that very completely. The Believer's Bible class is part of the historic First Baptist Church located in downtown Dallas, Texas. Our class meets every Sunday morning at 9.15 in LaVorne Hall, located on the lower level of the new Worship Center building. Over 100 people attend this class, and we learn so much about the Bible as Doug digs deeply into the scriptures so that we can understand what we are reading. We invite you to visit our class if you are in the area. Now we are ready to begin the lesson, which Doug has titled, The Loudmouthed Horn, taken from Daniel chapter 7. You will certainly want to have your Bible open to the book of Daniel as we begin today's class. Now, we had a slight electronic problem with the first two minutes of this lesson, and looking over the notes for the lesson, I believe that you, who listen through this venue, will appreciate knowing to better understand what comes next. So, with your permission, I'll give you a quick rundown of what Doug said in those two minutes, and then we will join him as he teaches the class. He said, Daniel is a prophet that God raised up at a very special and strategic time in Israel's history. The book which he wrote tells us how to live for God on Satan's turf. It lets us know what to do when you find yourself in places where the Christian worldview is no longer tolerated. The book of Daniel should serve as a light for our paths in this present darkness. The book of Daniel, and especially these chapters which we have yet to study, provide us with invaluable information about a period of time called the time of the Gentiles. We should come to understand that the kingdom of God will never come into being until the time of the Gentiles is completed. We are still living in the time of the Gentiles, and the great empire of horror that Daniel revealed to us today is yet to come, and it appears very likely that it will be upon us very soon. And now, here is our longtime teacher and my dear friend, Doug Brady. This book of prophecy is going to make it clear to us that wickedness
1: is finite. Finite. What do I mean by that? That there are limits to which it cannot reach, and that one day it will be gone forever. What a glorious day. Now, the last time we met, Daniel told us about four beasts he saw coming out of the sea. There was a lion, and who did that represent? Babylon. Then there was a bear. Who did that represent? Medo-Persia. There was a leopard. Who did that represent? Grace Alexander. But then there was this nondescript. What do I mean by nondescript? Now, what did he say? My ex mother-in-law. Oh. Well, I'm not going to comment on that. Uh, But if she had anything to do with your upbringing, no. no. This beast is such that it can't be described because it doesn't meet any criteria of a normal animal. Any animal that we have. So we're doing this and this beast is terrible. There's some people have suggested that what's really involved here is AI. Because he has teeth of iron and he has claws of bronze. I'm not sure I'm gonna go that far because the beast in its origin is an empire called Rome. Now Rome was wicked, it was horrible, but it's coming. But let's look at this beast in chapter 7 of Daniel verse 7, but before we read God's word, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for the time that we can spend together today understanding your word. Have your Holy Spirit here to teach us. Well, I know he's here. The way we be open to his teaching. Listen to what he wants to say to us. Come to understand what you're really saying here and how far-reaching these few verses in chapter 7 are and how they lay the foundation for all the things you're going to tell us in 8, 9, 11, and 12. So I pray, Father, that you give us good understanding and help us as we, we look at this passage. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 7. And after this, I kept looking in the night visions. Now, that is after he'd seen the leopard. Now, understand here, this is not a snapshot. This is a video. And we, he, it's hard to put a video into words. But there's a progression here. So the first thing he sees is, behold, a fourth beast. Dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. And it had large iron teeth. And it devoured, crushed and trampled down the remainder with, with its feet. And it was different from all the other beasts before it. And it had ten horns. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little horn came up among them. And three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. Now there is a term used here twice that I want you to see. It's before it. You look. That's the first time it's used. You look down on the third of the bottom line you'll see before it again. Now when we read that it should be rather obvious to us. That means this is something that happened chronologically before what it's talking about now. Before it means before it. No, it doesn't. That's not what this Aramaic word means. We tend to think that in the English. The term before it is not a chronological term, but instead a confrontational term. There's a confrontation going on here. You'll see the same thing used in a way that's easier to understand in verse 20 of this chapter, where it says before it. Now, this beast referred to is nondescript because no other animal could be found to represent this kingdom or empire. The beast with the iron teeth represents Rome as did the legs of iron in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. The beast comes into view and you can see its teeth and you can see its claws. Why is that? Well, if you look or watch videos of television shows of animals, say, over in Africa, whether it's a chimpanzee or a lion or many other, they will always show you their teeth. If uh, you know, you look at those chimps; they have two-inch fangs, and they show them often because they say, "If you mess with me, this is what you're dealing with." Other animals do exactly the same thing, and you see these teeth; they are showing who and what they are. But it's clearly that, it's clear that this beast is different than the three before it. And this beast overthrew the other beasts and exercised dominion over the earth. But as we go on in this video, then all of a sudden Daniel's attention is drawn to the ten horns. And he's going to see these ten horns, which correspond to the ten toes in Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And they represent 10 kingdoms or regions of political power. Now, do you know that as I was reading this week and and listening this week, there are some people who've divided up the world into 10 regions. You know, we used to think, well, European Union, you know, it's going to eventually end up with just 10. Listen, those states over in, in Europe, they have no power now at all. Germany... Uh, Italy, they don't have any power. The power's all in Brussels, and that's where it resides, and it probably will never leave. And the EU will be one of these 10 regions. Now, I want you to think about this. The region that America would be in would be North America. That means including Mexico and Canada. How would you like to share Mexico and Canada's situation? All you've got to do is look at Trudeau and, well, I'm not going to say any more. Because they'll uh, uh, cut me out up in Canada uh, if I say any more about such a wonderful man as Mr. Trudeau. (laughs) Yes. Now, I want you to think about this. Has there ever been an empire in the history of the world which is some way based upon the Roman Empire and has 10 subparts and has ruled the world? The answer is no, there's never been. The reason for that is this is a future empire. This is one that is coming. Do we know exactly when it's coming? No, but it is coming. So as this video plays out on the ten horns take center stage, uh, but we have to recognize there is a lengthy period of time between the initial entrance of the beast from the sea and then the appearance of the horns. If you counted it up, it would probably be 2,100 years in between the beast and the horns. Now, many liberal scholars say, that that kind of understanding is just bogus. You don't have 2,100 years in one verse or two verses. You don't do that. Nobody writes like that. Are they right? Well, let's test that theory. That no one does that. I want you to look for a second at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, which is a prophecy. For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and furthermore. Now, let's take this first phrase. For a child will be born to us and a son will be given. Has that occurred? Yes. Yeah, it has. Uh, right about uh, 4 to 7 BC that happened when Jesus was born. Now the question is, let's look at the next part. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful. Counselor, I, I really don't think a, there should be a comma between Wonderful and Counselor. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Have we seen that yet? No. How many years between these two? Another 2,100, 2,000 years has occurred from the first part of this verse Uh, To the next part of this verse. That happens. Now, if you were looking for the foremost authority to interpret Scripture, who would you suggest is the foremost authority in the history of the world to interpret Scripture? Who? Jesus. Jesus. Well, let's see if Jesus has ever done anything. I want you to look at another passage in Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And this is a messianic prophecy. It's about Jesus. So if anybody can interpret a messianic prophecy, it ought to be Jesus, right? Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And continuing on in that sentence, it says, And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the mantle of praise instead of uh, spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness in the planning of the Lord, that is Yahweh, that he may be glorified. Now that's the messianic prophecy. There was a time when Jesus was in the synagogue, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and look what it says there in that passage. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book, and he found the place where it was written. And here's what he wrote, what he read The Spirit of the Lord is. Upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. If you notice, that's the same thing. And that's what Isaiah, he's reading Isaiah. But now look what he says when he gets to the favorable year of the Lord. He stops. And he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, to him, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, what about the rest? Nope, not yet. Another extreme period of time in one passage. Jesus is saying that. This has been fulfilled, not the rest. Did you know that sometimes the prophets... Were given prophecies from God, and they had a hard time understanding what they meant. And were frustrated by them. You're going to see this in Daniel's Daniel questions, and God says, Daniel, go your way. Over in 1 Peter, look what 1 Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1:10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come uh, to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know. What person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings and the glories to follow? But they didn't know. They were searching their own prophecies. They couldn't find the answers. Why? Because there was a mystery. The mystery is something that God knows that He hasn't explained yet. And what was the mystery? The church. They didn't know the church. Daniel, when he's prophesying, he has no idea of the church. He he, he doesn't see it doesn't know it. not aware of it. We on the other hand, as these men are prophesying, have the completed canon of the scriptures to rely on and to resolve our lack of understanding. We also have 2600 years of history which they didn't have. So now Daniel watches as a new character enters the scene. He's seen this horrible beast. He's seen now the kingdom of the ten horns. But now he sees an eleventh a little horn. After the ten horns were in place on this beast, the fourth beast sprouts an eleventh horn. The eleventh horn starts out smaller than all the rest, but it attacks three of the horns and overcomes them, subdues them. And then the remaining horns willingly submit to him. And then he develops the eyes of a man and a mouth like that of a man, and which then proceeds to utter great boasts. So what is he doing? In fact, you're going to see later, these boasts involve blasphemies. He, in effect, is declaring war on God. Not a wise thing to do, but for a short period of time, it's going to seem that he's winning. It's going to seem that he is winning. And I want you to see this. And he's uttering these boasts. Now, can that concept be supported anywhere else in the scripture and the answer is yes we'll turn over to the book of the revelation we're going to look in chapter 13 starting in verse 1b he said then i saw a beast coming up out of the sea having 10 horns and seven heads and on his horns were 10 diadems or crowns recognizing that this is a kingdom and rulers and on his heads were blasphemous names so written on his heads were blasphemous names and the beast which I saw was like a leopard that had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if he had been slain and his fatal wound was healed. Now let's wait a second. What does that word fatal mean? You're going to die. So what is it saying it appears to be? This guy comes back from the dead. Oh, we're going to see something here that is very important for us to understand. Uh, We'll get to it at the end. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon who gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, who's like the beast and who's able to wage war with him? Now listen to this. And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemy. An authority to act for 42 months was given him, and he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle." Now, his name and his tabernacle. Is there a tabernacle on earth right then? No. There is a tabernacle in heaven. And who is there in heaven inhabiting that tabernacle? Who besides Jesus? Us. We are there. This is during the tribulation period. And I've decided I'm going to speak a little bit about whether or not we're going to go through the tribulation or not. uh, Because it's going to be important to understanding these passages. But his name in his tabernacle, that is those who dwell in heaven. He is blaspheming you. He's saying all kinds of things about you who left this earth in such a hurry. And just disappeared. You know what it makes me feel like saying? Say whatever you want, sucker. You're in serious trouble. You better enjoy it while you can. He's going to be in hell a thousand years before Satan ever gets there. Anyway, so he's uttering these monstrous blasphemies. Now let's look on in Daniel chapter 7 at verse 12. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed point of time. Now, that sounds like filler or transition at first, but anyone who takes it that way is is very wrong. It's saying some very important things. It appears from this verse that each of the prior kingdoms, Babylon, Medo, Persia, and Greece, and then Rome, continue to exist in some way within the succeeding kingdom that devoured it. They are now all a part of it. You know, I can remember in uh, being in Western civilization class taught by a, name, a lady by the name of Dr. Krupa who I didn't agree with much of what she said but I can remember she yes, the Romans took over politically but the Greeks still remained in control culturally and linguistically and she was right and that's exactly I didn't stand up at the time and say, you know, God said that in the book of Daniel but uh, I didn't do that But the continuation or extension given these beasts is part the time in which we live. Now, and also I want you to notice something here. That means, at least to me, that what is coming next, I think will be upon us very soon because of the acceleration of time in our lives. And that this final Gentile kingdom, which will bring such horror upon the earth, there's never been anything like it ever seen before. But notice one thing. I want you to notice at the end of verse 12. What does it say? Granted to them for an appointed period of time. Who did the granting? Who knows when that time ends? If he knows it's our plan to end for a certain time, will it end then? Yes. Absolutely, it will. Absolutely. And that's one of the things. So, as a result of seeing this, and well, let me tell you, I want you to imagine something, this is a little gruesome, but if you, if you were, had a policeman, a detective who was talking to you, and he told you, yes, there was this grisly murder, and there was blood everywhere, and this slash here, and this cut there, and this bullet wound there, that's one thing. But he said, here, Mr. Brady, you need to recognize, here's the pictures, and they're in full color. That's a whole different thing. When you see it like that, it has a strong emotional gut-wrenching effect. Here it's had the same thing on Daniel. He has seen the terror and the horror of what is coming. And he is extremely upset. And you're going to see that he is now severely distressed. And starting in verse 15, it says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. And I approached one of those who was standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of this. Now understand, is Daniel in the vision or out of the vision? He is in the vision. He's talking to someone in the vision. In this vision and in this dream, he is terribly alarmed and upset. And so he goes to a bystander, which in my mind can only be an angelic being. And he talks to him and he says, uh, asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So as he views this dream, Daniel declares that he's distressed and alarmed, and he recognizes what is coming, he just doesn't know when. If he had been able to look into the future, to 70 A.D., and seen the destruction of Jerusalem, he would have said, well, that's certainly it. Look at this, what's going on. A million Jews are being killed. Women who are pregnant are having their abdomen sliced open and their baby strangled in front of them before they are killed. Horrible, horrible things. That would have certainly been what he... But that wasn't it. If he could see even farther into the future, into the Holocaust, and see what happens to six million Jews... To see what happens to 12,000 children whose soul, you know, they their infants basically and their souls are snuffed out by the Nazis. He would have said, that's certainly it then. If it wasn't 70 AD, it's 1945. Nope, that's not it either. What's coming is worse than either of those two things. And it's going to be horrible. So in fact, this event or time of the horns is still to come. And in verse 17, it says this, these great beasts, which are for a number, this bystander is telling Daniel, are four kings or kingdoms who will arise on the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages. Now what did this guy do? He skipped basically what's going to happen with these four kingdoms. And he talks about the final kingdom. He's doing that because Daniel is so distressed. And he's trying to uh, encourage him. But then he's got to go on and he's got to see what's going on. In verse 19, Then I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast. He says, I don't need to know about the first three. I want to know about this fourth one, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns, which was on its head, and the other horn which came up, and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had the eyes and the mouth uttering great boasts, and which was large in appearance than its or larger in its appearance than its associates. Notice, it started out little, but then what happened to it? It grew larger than any of the others, and I kept looking and the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Now, this is clearly talking about the period of the tribulation. And so many people say, see, do you not see the last part of this verse? Who is he making war with? The saints. That's us. The church is going through this tribulation, period. There's no question about it. We're the saints. No, we're not. Well, let me put it this way. Am I a saint? Yes. Now my wife would tell you that that's questionable. (laughs) But by the technical definition of a true believer, I am and you are. But now wait a second. Does Daniel using this word know anything about the church? Nothing. Were there saints in the Old Testament? Absolutely true believers. During this tribulation period, will there be people who are saints that is true believers? You start with the 144,000 in Daniel chapter 7, and you imagine, do you remember the effect the Apostle Paul had on this earth? Europe was one because of the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Paul's unleashed on the earth? Energy and the insight and the motivation and the strength that they have. That's what's going to happen. Hundreds of thousands of of people are going to come to know the Lord in this seven-year period to be the greatest revival ever heard. Now, most of them will have to die because of their decision to believe. We have a place in our world where that's the truth now. But this is going to be over the entire world. But this is not proof that the church is in the tribulation period. They will turn to the Lord at the end as He's coming back and accept Him as their Messiah. And they will cry for what they have done in the past in rejecting Him. It will be a remnant. I think it's going to be like a third of the Jews that start the tribulation. Two-thirds of them are going to die. It's sad. But let's go on because I want you to see this. Daniel wanted this explanation. And he had perceived this difference. and, And he wants to know, but what about this little horn? I want you to consider for a second the horn, which is in Revelation 13, 4-10. It's the same thing. It says, "...they worshipped the dragon, because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like him? There was given to him a mouth speaking, arrogant words, and blasphemy and authority to act for 42 months was given to him." That's the exact same thing written in Daniel. How could this not be the same person? And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell on earth. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. Now, who is this guy? He is going to rule the world. The whole world. The beast, the Antichrist. Now let me tell you, the Antichrist is is a term used more like Nebuchadnezzar's Uh, statue, wondrous from the part of the view of the oppressor, the beast is more God's word in describing this man, a horrendous, monstrous beast. Are we being prepared for this world rulership? You see, the more these things we are being prepared for, then the closer the time comes. How many of you ever heard of a guy by the name of David Rockefeller? You say he's a beast. Well, you know, we've, there are certain conservatives who've made all these claims about what's going on in a cabal that's doing all this stuff. Well, I found a page from David Rockefeller's memoirs. In fact, it's page 405. He writes this. For more than a century, ideological extremists, that's like Julie and Cindy uh, and Jan, They're ideological extremists. Have seized upon well-publicized incidents to attack the Rockefeller family for the inordinate influence they claim we wield over American political and economic institutions. Now get this, he says, some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States. Characterizing my family as me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty. And I'm proud of it. That's that's the man. And we say, oh, that's bogus. All these claims you're making, that's not true. Nobody's doing that. Hellfire, they're not. Now let's go on. I want you to look at this beast again through some different eyes. He was called the Antichrist one place. He's called a beast another. He's got a different set of names in Second 2 Thessalonians two ten. Paul's writing. says that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. That is the tribulation. Don't don't let somebody con you into thinking the tribulation's already come. There's two things that have to happen first. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the departure or the disappearance comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Notice those two names. The man of lawlessness. In other words, he won't be controlled by any laws. And the son of destruction. He's going to bring about destruction for all those who follow him. Who opposes and exalts himself above every soul called God or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So it's going to have to be a temple for him to do that. There's not one now, but there will be. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work... Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now in preparation for some things we're going to say at the end, you need to recognize what this passage is saying. This mystery of lawlessness, it's at work now. That is when Paul wrote this. That means it's continuing on until now. Why is that? Well, I'm going to explain that to you. I found the answer to that. I didn't understand that at first, as you'll see here in a second. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only the one who restrains him, that is the Holy Spirit, will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then that lawlessness will be revealed by the whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. And that event is described in Revelation 19, 11 through 21. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with the deception of wickedness, For those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. You see, in this passage, he's referred to as the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction. In Daniel 9.26, he's referred to as the prince who is to come. So let's look at some serious passages now that I want you to see right at the end of Daniel 7, starting in verse 25. And he will speak out against the Most High, and he will wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given to him, into his hand, for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole earth will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the dominions will serve and obey him. So this big mouth horn will proclaim and spout blasphemy against the Most High God. He will seek to destroy his followers. He will make great changes in times and law. Now, now, wait a second. What does that mean? We're going to have to come. what, What does it mean to change the time in the law? He will be allowed to do that for a time, times, and half a time. Now, what does that mean, a time, times, half a time? If you look at this word in the Aramaic, it can mean two things. It can mean a time, a specific time referred to. I mean, you ever heard it's the time of the season, that's just a specific time. It's time to leave, a specific time. Or it can mean a year. You read and understand it by context. And so it's really talking about a year. Now, when we interpret it, it says a time, times, and half a time. And this may be a little deep for some, but I I want to try and explain to you because I discovered it. I've always thought, well, times is two because they have a dual. You know, in English we have singular and plural. In Aramaic, and Hebrew, and Greek, you had a singular dual and plural in English plural is two or more in Aramaic at the time it was dual is two singular so plural was three or more and that's what I always thought so you had to be two years so a year two years and a half a year three and a half years but I read scholars who say oh no this word the second word translated times is not dual, it's plural, look at the vowel points on it, and I looked it up, and they were right, it was plural, and I thought, gee, I've been thinking this, and understand this, people had taught me this, then Gary, I decided I'd look at Walford, see what he had to say, you look at Walford, and what he says is this, this is coming from the Masoretic texts, by the Masoretic scribes, they didn't used to be vowel markings, and vowel points, When Daniel was written, Aramaic had dual as far as number, whether it's singular, dual, or plural. But at the time in 1200 AD, when the Masoretic scribes, Aramaic no longer used dual. It was something that had been taken out of the... So they put the points on it for plural because it didn't have dual anymore. But when it was written, it was dual. And that's according to Walford. Why did they just write three and a half years? (laughs) because you see you're thinking with the simplicity of an of a occidental mind and they have an oriental mind that you don't have and that i don't have that i try very good very well to understand and so i want you to see that now this also this three and a half year period this is something you need to understand about daniel is this three and a half year period spoken of throughout the scriptures Sometimes it's not speaking of, spoken of as a time, times, and half a time. It's spoken of a different way, 42 months. It's also spoken of as uh, 1,260 days. And that's based on the Jewish calendar, which has 360 days in a year. But where did it first appear in the Scriptures three and a half years? In Daniel. Daniel was the first book written in which the three and a half years appeared. How long is the tribulation period? Seven years. So this is half of it, right? Well, wait. Where do you know that it's seven years, this tribulation period? Is it in Revelation? No. It's only in the book of Daniel. When we get to chapter 9, you'll see it, and I'll show it to you. Only place in the Scriptures that you know it's three. Now, you can say, well, it says the last part is three and a half years. Well, then... You could say that, but the only time it says seven years, only time, is in Daniel chapter 9. And if you find something else that says differently, I'd sure like to see it because I've searched and it's not there. So, he's going to accomplish all this. Now that brings me to a question I think we ought to ask ourselves. Is there any way that we can acquire a more definitive answer as to when this will all happen? Is the next prophetic event on the calendar coming the coming of the Antichrist and not the coming of Jesus Christ? I want to know the answer to that question for certain. Why? Because I don't want to be there for the coming of the Antichrist. I want to be there for the coming of Jesus Christ. But you see, as far as Daniel goes, that seems to be the case. Why? Because there's a mystery that Daniel hasn't been told yet. The same mystery that was kept secret from all the Old Testament prophets, even from John the Baptist. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. That's the mystery of the church. Now, let me just ask you for a second, why would God keep that a mystery? Because he wants to give Israel a chance to accept or reject their Messiah. And if he says to them, well, I'm going to have to start a new thing called the church because you're going to reject the Messiah, that would have a chilling effect on their decision. Well, if God said it, what could I do? You see? He wants to have an opportunity for them to have unhindered choice, but they will pay for their choice if they make it the wrong way, and they did. Luckily for us, they did, or we wouldn't be around. Now, I want you to consider for a second this name Antichrist. Antichrist. The Greek, the Greek prefix here translated anti in English means against or instead of. And I gave you the Greek word there. Against or instead of. Now you remember a long time ago in John, I told you when we were studying John, if you can write in these languages and you can take a word that has two meanings and use it in a way that both meanings are incorporated, that means you're a really good writer. Okay? Question? Question? Yeah. <laughs> It also mean a reflection. When something is up against the other, it's a reflection. When I pulled that, it means over against opposite, or hence instead of. is what I pulled from the lexicon that I looked at, which was Brown, Driver, Briggs. But here's the thing. Here it's both. What is it saying? It's saying that the Antichrist is a counterfeit of the true Messiah, counterfeit. Do you remember how he appeared to die and come back? How he's going to proclaim himself to be God? Counterfeit. But in addition to that, he is the sworn enemy of the real Messiah. Now, this man we need to understand will be a man of remarkable knowledge, skill, and diplomacy. Maybe like no man we've ever seen before depending on who his father is. He will be a great and persuasive orator. Now I want you to think for a second. How many of you have ever seen, I think they're generally black and white, but the videos of Adolf Hitler as he would speak to the German people? Has anybody ever seen that? Do you remember, you know, he sounds like a guy who's just yelling and screaming to me because I can't understand German. But those people were entranced with him. They were willing to do whatever he wanted them to do. His oratory skills were amazing. And they followed him. And many of them followed him to the death. He was something else, Adolf was. He inspired the German people in a way no one else ever has. He compelled them with his words and they as a result would do things that we couldn't imagine they would do. But because of this oratory sway. Now, this is what the Antichrist will be able to do. Now, I want you to think about this question for just a second. Would we in America ever allow ourselves to be swept along by such oratory and do things we never thought we would ever do? Well, as I thought about that, I thought, can I come up with an example? And the first example I came up with was 1992 someone who we never really heard of, all of a sudden became the leader of the free world in 1992. Of course, took office in 1993, January 15th or 20th, whenever it is. But I want you to think of this a second. If you talk to people who voted for him and ask them, why did you vote for him? You know what they would say? Well, he just sounded so presidential, sounded presidential. Well, what had he done? Well, sounded president. Did you look into why? No, he sounded presidential. That same thing happened to us even greater extent in 2008. What had he done? Well, he's a community organizer. Well, what's that? My mind, rabble rouser, but he sounded presidential, though. did you not listen to him and hear what he had to say? He talked about change. We need change. Well, what kind of Well, good change. I can remember saying, "You can keep I'm going to keep my guns and my money. You can have the change." But I lost. Now, consider for a moment who the Antichrist really is. You know, there were people who were saying, "Adolf Hitler, he's the Antichrist." There were other people saying, "Barack Obama, he's the Antichrist. And there's other people who would say other people were the Antichrist. Now, I discovered something this week. Is God omnipotent? What does that mean? Alright, is he omniscient? He knows everything. Is Satan omnipotent? Is Satan omniscient? So how does he know when the tribulation is going to start? He doesn't. So he's got to be Ready? I didn't understand these verses in 1 John. Let me share two of them with you. In 1 John 2, 18, Children, it is the last hour, and you have just heard that Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have appeared from whom we know it is the last hour. John 1 John 4.3 And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. That is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. What do you mean it's already in the world? There's already been. Satan doesn't know. He's preparing a man every period of time. And if the rapture occurs, that man is ready and he's bringing him in. If the rapture had occurred in 2007... Somebody who you've suggested maybe didn't Christ very well might have been. So, what I'm trying to tell you is that he is ready. Satan doesn't know when the Holy Spirit will be removed from the earth, does not. So he has to be ready. That is to always have a man who can be the beast, and he does. Now, do you remember that it talked about this before the time times and half. He will endeavor to change or alter times and laws. What in the world does that mean? Well, Julie will tell you that when we moved into our apartment here just recently for temporary stay while our house was being repaired, there was this one box which was extremely heavy because it had every conservative study Bible in it that I can ever find. And I now have them lined up Uh, on a windowsill. Julie would prefer if I kept them in the box probably. But no, they're lined up there where I can have easy access to them. They don't look as good, but they're certainly more practically available. So you know I go for practicality. Julie goes for aesthetic appearance. And so far I'm winning, but I may come home one day and they all be in a box. Who knows? But anyway, I look through every one of these Bibles. Most of them don't even mention anything about changing the the laws and the times but i found something interesting do you know when the now some people want to say the american revolution don't ever say that it wasn't american revolution it was the war for independence it was the independence movement not revolution where did the revolution occur in france they formed a republic too Theirs was misguided because it wasn't based on divine principles. Ours was based on divine principles. And that's the reason ours has lasted so long. But what I'm trying to explain to you is this. In that French Revolution, they decided to change times. What do you mean? Well, first of all, they decided that from the time that the revolution founded the new republic, that should be year one of the new republic. Everything else was year one going backwards or negative going backwards in time. Time was now stopped with the start of the French Revolution and its forming of the republic. And that's the new time. We don't need a seven-day work week anymore with six days working and one day off. We're going to have a ten-day work week. And they established that in France. Now, your history professors, they don't want to tell you those things because they don't like to say it. They want to glory in the French Revolution. But... That's what was going on, that kind of thing. In addition to that, they changed all the laws in France. Uh, That same thing is going to happen. Now, can I find an example in the Bible that speaks of the Antichrist seriously changing the laws? Even the Nuremberg Trials or Geneva Convention. came. Is there... Somewhere in there we can find that. Well, I looked at Revelation 13, starting in verse 16. And he, that is the beast, and he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free man and the slaves. Let's stop there. What, has he, what institution has he reinstituted? Slavery. Slavery. Who do you think are going to be the slaves? The ones that become that during the tribulation period if they're not killed. Slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. So, either here on your forehead or on your right hand, some kind of mark, some kind of thing. This word in Greek, we don't know for sure exactly what it means, but it'll be something in one of those two places. And he provides that no one would be able to buy or to sell except the one who has the mark. Either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now that's a serious change in the law. You can't buy, you can't sell unless you have this. Now wait a second. Would the people of the earth really go for such a thing? Well, wait a second. Don, as long as you have money, you can buy stuff. As long as you have products, you can sell stuff. Would you agree with that, Julie? Well, would you agree with that? So you think they're going to have money? If you had. Well, yeah. And the problem is, you're not going to have. In that case, Do you see uh, things changing where it's all digital? They want to eliminate cash. Let me ask you a question. Don, if you and Damaris, each carrying four suitcases, went into one of Neil's car dealerships, and said, I want to buy Bentley, here's the cash. What are you going (laughs) to (laughs) do?
0: They would call the the authorities. Oh, they would, in a second.
1: You're trying to scrub drug money, is what they would think. You can go buy... Now, I I can remember, it it was one of the most... Uh, enjoyable no that's not that's too much I enjoyed doing this I went in and I bought a little Porsche 914 and I had a friend come in and we put down $9,000 in cash and I had quoted the legal tender provision that I put down in front of them you have to accept this or the debts and so they did but that that won't happen anymore that was 1972 You can't do that anymore Cash in that kind of quantity. And pretty soon cash is going to be eliminated. So can somebody do this? Yeah, they're going to eliminate currency. And they're going to have it all digital. And then the mark applies. You can't buy. You can't sell. You can't work. You can't travel. You can't do anything unless you have this mark. Now, well, let's hold off now a second. Because i got one final question. Would people ever let some kind of controlling mark be put on or in their bodies are we being prepared for that now what do they want to say somebody has proposed legislation that you can't leave your state or fly on an airplane unless you have a little card and what does that card say about you you've been vaccinated no not in america oh yes they're saying that in america All in preparation for this upcoming beast and his control of the entire world. In response to that, I can say one thing. Praise God, I won't be here. We're going to talk about that when an appropriate time comes. Won't be here. I'm going to have trouble trying to condense everything down into one lesson. I taught... Nine lessons on that, Gary, hour and a half each. So we'll have to see. Yeah, you remember that. Don't? How the rest of you feel like about that? Yes. Yes. All right. If you're negative to that, you can tell me in person because the majority seems to wanna. Now, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we can study your word. I thank you for the time that you've given me to spend in study. Help me to be faithful in studying. Help me to look at these things and seek to understand. Help me to be able to explain next week who the Ancient of Days is. I pray all of these things, Father, in the name of Your Son, Jesus, and the power of Your Holy Spirit. Amen.